The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Carrying excess weight and being obese is a major risk factor for chronic health conditions such as cardiovascular disease, sleep apnea, type 2 diabetes, and now it's actually even proving to be a risk factor for some cancers. Unfortunately, in countries like Australia and the US, it is fast becoming an increase in public health concern, affecting not only a person's physical health, but also our life expectancy. So today we're going to speak to John Armstrong, who is a UK and Australian trained bariatric and general and endocrine surgeon, who is the founder and director of Advanced Surgical in Netherlands. Dr. John Armstrong is going to help us better understand bariatric surgery as an option for treating obesity, which is not only a weight issue, but a chronic health condition. Thanks for joining us today, uh, Dr. Armstrong. Thanks very much. What's the current obesity figures in Australia? Well, it's a huge problem globally, and Australia's right up there with the other developed nations. Yeah. Depends how you measure it, but basically 65% of adults in Australia are either overweight or obese. Jeez. And, you know, we use fairly strict criteria to, for measuring obesity. We actually use BMI, which yes. is not too complicated to work out. And what is, what is BMI? BMI is basically your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. Okay. And it comes up with a number, and 20 to 25 is healthy, 25 to 30 is the overweight category, 30 to 35 is obese, and we use BMI 35 and above as morbid obesity. Okay. We're worried about morbid obesity because we know that if someone has a BMI over 35, they've got considerably higher risk for the future. Yes. And actually, they've got double the overall mortality for someone with a BMI of 25 and below. And have you seen that trend as the figures have just been going up every year? So it's not sort of... Yeah, it goes up every year. It is slowing down a bit. Um, some people think it's going to top out fairly soon. Um, but certainly, it's still going up. Uh, and right now in Australia, so yeah, 65% of people are overweight or obese. But more worryingly um, in Australia, 28% of Australians are in this BMI over 30 category. Wow. Um, and that's gone up since 2005 from 18%. So it's doubling really every mm. every 10 years almost. And where do we sit sort of in the world? Are we? Because I heard yeah, some well, reports that we're sort of up there with the yeah, US. We're, we're right up there. Well, the US is the worst. Mm. Um, and the U.S. has a higher percentage of super obese patients. And if you travel to the U.S., you'll see that yeah. there's a lot of really big people. Um, we have categories of BMI 50 and above, and, and they're certainly leading there. But basically, it comes down to the U.S. and Mexico. Mexico is a particularly un unhealthy nation. Right. And actually, New Zealand and Hungary yeah, uh, in Eastern right. Europe, pretty unhealthy country. Okay. And then Australia. So we're number five out of yeah. the 36 countries in the OECD. Um, and that's just the countries that really get good data. There's a lot mm. of countries in the Middle East, uh, a lot of the uh, nations in the Emirates countries, in Qatar and, mm. and, and Saudi. Um, uh, and they haven't done great work on the epidemi epidemiology yet, but mm. we think certainly amongst women it's super high there and probably yeah, right. as high as the US, perhaps higher. So then how many of those patients who are uh, obese or overweight coming now for bariatric surgery, seeking bariatric surgery for help? Uh, well, the numbers are going up around the country 
who's actually, you know, people are actually having the operation. Mm. Um, the criteria for, for an operation really are BMI 35 and above uh, is when we generally consider someone for an operation. And, of course, that's uh, 2 million Australians who could qualify potentially for bariatric, bariatric surgery. Right. And I'd like to think that surgery is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we should be um, having some helpful public health messages, mm. looking at diet and exercise and addressing obesity in schools. And, and they are trying. I mean, I, I, I think there's most at the moment in Australia because we've got lots of people that listen around the world, but um, there's posters up at the moment with the, with I think the diet drinks, and I think they're trying yeah, all the those campaigns. Tax, yeah. yeah, I mean whatever you do, it's so multifactorial. What yes. causes obesity, but uh, I mean you need to start with kids, really. And yes. in Australia, there's a there's a there's the traffic light campaign in schools, which is super effective. We know that overweight children, eighty percent of them, will carry that through their teen years and into adulthood. Really. Um, and the sugar the sugar taxes. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the sugar tax. I, mean, yeah. I think the last thing. That we need is uh, super refined sugars, thirty grams of sugar in small, yes. in small drinks. Uh, it's a disaster for young people. And so, the people that you do surgery on as adults, do you, do they tell a history of being overweight as as a child? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, it's, yeah. it's often there's so many stories. I mean, it yeah. may be young women who've had several children, one after the other, and they haven't been able to get on top of their. Yeah diet and exercise and they perhaps haven't had the support they've needed and they've got overweight. Yes. Perhaps other men or women who are running a business who uh, life's just got in the way and they've yeah. got out of shape. Um, some people just genetically are super good at pulling calories out of food. Often yeah. when I see young people with a BMI 50 and above since the day they were born, I mean, they've yeah. been carted around by their parents to Weight Watchers and they've yeah. got a genetic tendency. We all live in a world of calorie excess, but they're very good at pulling calories out of food. It's, it's many different stories. Yes. Someone might have an injury, back injury, knee injury, yes. something that's limited their mobility, yes. and then they put on weight. But for whatever reason, once you get to a BMI of 35 and above, it's really difficult to shift it. And we know that 98% of people just won't shift it with diet and exercise. Wow. Only 2% of people will get the sort of sustained weight loss that they need with diet and exercise at five years. Yes. So the odds are quite stacked against people. And so when we watch these shows like Biggest Loser, when you're seeing people probably with those BMIs, high BMIs, you know, it takes extreme measures of diet and exercise and then most of those patients may not sustain it. So you yeah, do I need hate, to look I, at... I hate those programs. I mean, basically, <laughs> yeah. those programs, I've operated on two patients who've been involved. Obviously, I'm not going to in, in, Yes, in this involved state, those programs. Who've been yeah. involved and successful in those programs. And basically, they've been starved and over-exercised yes. and not provided with any emotional, psychological yeah. support. They've lost masses of weight in the process, but they'll nearly all put it all back on again yeah. and very quickly. And so speaking of teams, so you, you, you've you got a team of people that support patients through the journey. So what, what does make a good team when you're looking at bariatric surgery? Well, the surgery is just a, it's really only is a small part of it. I'd like to think it's the most important part, but actually yes. it isn't. Um, so the, the patients will generally come along. Most patients are quite well informed. There's a lot of information online. They yeah. may have had friends or family. They know a bit about it. They come along. And actually most people uh, are quite suitable for an operation. Um, and most people will do well in the short to medium term if they have an operation. We'll be talking about the operations yes. later. But unless they have really good dietary advice, unless they've got a clinical psychologist who's involved, um, perhaps an exercise physiologist, they're quite likely to get weight regain. 
Yeah. Uh, and they may have a lot of emotional problems during yeah. the period of rapid weight loss. So when they come to you and come to your team here, they get all that support? Well, they... I generally see them first, talk yep. about surgery, all the pros and cons, because it's really about reducing risks overall. Some yes. people have a lot of risks for an operation. I mean, perhaps won't operate on them. Mm. Other people may have a fairly low BMI and not really deserving of an operation because they don't have enough risks at the moment to yeah. justify the risks of surgery. But yeah. Um, if they decide they want to have an operation, we generally won't make a decision necessarily that day and they'll come back on a separate occasion to mm. talk to me again. But before that, they'll see our dietitians who are excellent actually and they've been doing this for a long time and yes. they'll talk about all the dietary aspects of life with a sleeve, all the adjustments they're going to need to make. Some patients who have a very high BMI need to lose a bit of weight beforehand. Yes. We generally use Optifast for that in the lead up to surgery. Um, and then probably one in three patients, and certainly all the young patients will see the clinical psychologist to make sure they've got a support structure in place beforehand. That's fantastic. And then they'll come and have their operation, and then afterwards they'll see us all again Yeah, and for a number of years. Okay. And so do health funds cover this uh, bariatric surgery in Australia? Well, it's, ch it's changed a lot. In fact, about a year ago, um, some of the major health funds changed um, their policies, and they actually sent out a number of emails to patients saying they'd have to up their cover to be covered for bariatric surgery. And a lot of people, I don't think, read, necessarily read emails from the health funds and weren't aware of these changes. And we're mm. seeing a number of patients now who thought they were covered yes. but aren't. Um, it's really important, even if you're thinking about having this operation, to ring up the health funds and say, on my policy, am I covered for bariatric surgery? And, and especially when you're about to renew or you're thinking about, well, what do I feel I need from the health system and I want private cover, really doing your homework perhaps of what you're going to be covered for and what you're not. Yeah. And again, yeah, some people are in covered for um, a surgeon, but in a public hospital, that just isn't going to work because there is really very limited provision for public hospital um, bariatric surgery, certainly in this state in Western Australia. So they need to check with the health fund. Um, there are still some out-of-pocket expenses that they need to be aware of, mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that's changed a lot over the last year or two and a different sort of economic climate. Mm. Uh, the prices are, have come down a bit, but it's, it varies. And yes. but most patients are going to have a, a gap which covers surgeons and anaesthetists and dietitians. Yep. Uh, in the lead up through the to process. The yeah. yeah. What are the surgical options out there for patients? Sleeve versus band. Yeah, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's still changing. Um, Ten years ago, certainly in this state and in Australia generally, uh, there were a lot of gastric bands that were being used. And yes. the gastric band wasn't all ban bad. It. it um, was really, I guess, relatively successful for 10 years. It was a safe procedure to do, really. Mm -hmm. um, and it was moderately effective. It's a small silicon ring around the stomach, uh, and the amount of pressure on the stomach could be adjusted by a small port. Mm. Um, but the problem was uh, that a lot of patients just didn't tolerate the dietary restrictions, or they developed some reflux above the band, mm. um, or blockages. So it wasn't ideal for patients in remote and rural areas. Yes. And we know now the evidence is that by 10 years, 80% of bands have either been removed or repositioned. Mm -hmm. So there wouldn't be many weeks I, I don't take someone's band out. And the unfortunate thing is when someone loses a band, usually within six months or 95% of people have put all their weight back on again. Um, so, so bands are sort of out, really. I mean, I personally don't perform bands anymore mm. and haven't for a number of years. Um, sleeve gastrectomy globally has become the most popular 
um, procedure. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a pretty solid procedure. Nothing's perfect, but sleeve gastrectomy is certainly, uh, it's predictable. It's a predictable procedure. Again, it's a keyhole procedure, mm. uh, which involves removing basically three quarters of the stomach and patients lose weight for two reasons. One, they eat small and the other mm. one, they just don't feel that hungry. And they also have a change in their tastes and tend to make healthier choices. Uh, and it's pretty solid for weight loss. Um, and there isn't that much dietary restriction and we don't generally see too many nutritional deficiencies. So mm -hmm. I personally, it's really is a mainstay of my practice. Okay. Um, but some people aren't really suitable for sleeve though. And so there's other options then? <clears throat> the other option is gastric bypass. Okay. Which is, um, just to complicate that, there's actually three different types of those. Oh. Um, but they all do the same thing really, which gastric bypass, it's like taking out a portion of your small bowel. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have six meters of small bowel. Most people have roughly six meters. Mm. It's like taking out two meters of that bowel. It's not actually taken out. It's just sort of pushed off to the side. Mm. And when you eat food goes past it and doesn't see that portion of bowel. Mm. And the end result is you lose weight through malabsorption, really, You're just not absorbing as much um, with, when you're eating food. And so patients lose weight through a malabsorption component, mm. um, but they are a bit more prone to malnutrition as a result. Um, and it's an operation that's just a, it's a step up from sleeve gastrectomy. And gastric bypass has been around a long time. It's actually mm. been around the longest, about 40 years. Um, but those patients do require more nutritional support than uh, sleeve gastrectomy patients. And there can be some late complications with bypass too. Uh, blockages of various loops of bowels and things. But it's certainly a solid operation, and, mm. and we're seeing more gastric bypass over the last few years. But still, sleeve gastrectomy is about 75% of the surgery that gets performed. Okay. And so they'd make those decisions, obviously, through a consult with a bariatric surgeon. You're looking at every individual's different. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially it's tailored to the patient. If someone came along with a super high BMI, 50 and above, well, they may actually um, need a gastric bypass from the outset okay. uh, because it is just much more solid weight loss that's required. Um, and, and some people with reflux, well, they, they actually don't always do particularly well with a sleeve gastrectomy because sometimes their reflux get, gets worse after a sleeve. Mm -hmm. um, but we would essentially have a conversation with the patients, talk about the two procedures, the sleeve gastrectomy or the bypass procedures, and give them all information, and sometimes we need to do some preoperative investigations, such as an endoscopy or various mm. barium tests, and then we'll come back at another occasion and talk through which might be the best for them, and they're involved in the decision-making yeah. the whole way. And what about risks? So when someone comes and they're, yeah, I really want bariatric surgery, what are the risks that they that might be involved? Well, everything has risks. Yes. There's risks having your appendix taken out. Absolutely. Um, but bariatric surgery, certainly from, from my view on it, and most people's view really, who perform this is that it's all about risk reduction. Mm. Patients with a BMI 40 and above, they've got a lot of risks. Yes. Certainly uh, high risk for type 2 diabetes. Often they have diabetes and hypertension, sleep apnea yes. and joint problems and perhaps fertility issues for women. It's usually a smorgasbord of things that are associated with having a BMI over 40. So their, their risks are high to start with. And generally, we think that bariatric surgery will reduce those risks yes. overall. Patients will have uh, hopefully an increase in quality of life and certainly in some studies, a survival benefit. Mm. So provided the surgery is done safely, uh, their risks overall are reduced. And that's the way we view it. Okay. And how effective is bariatric surgery in the long term? What's the data suggesting? Or Well, it's very, it is very effective. 
uh, yes. is certainly much more effective than diet and exercise. Uh, and in, really, there's been some good long-term studies. There was one um, from Sweden, which is very well popularized 25 years ago. People have been followed through their bariatric surgery journey. And we know that most of the procedures that patients have had, whether it's bypass or even bands and sleeve gastrectomy, have been very durable. Mm. And the, the, diet, the diet in the exercise industry looks at sort of six months, one year, success stories. No one's going to judge bariatric surgery on its outcomes uh, uh, up until uh, five years. I mean, five years is basically we want to know how well they will do at five years. Yes. And certainly sleeve gastrectomy and gastric bypass, and even bands, if the patients maintain their bands, they should be achieving solid weight loss for five years and hopefully for 10 years. But whichever operation has ever been done for bariatric surgery, when you look long enough and you follow patients long enough, there's always a group of people who get late weight mm -hmm. regain. I mean, they'll do very well for the first year usually, most of these procedures Patients will lose the weight they're going to lose in a year. They generally plateau for a number of years. But as you follow patients longer, mm. we'll see some weight regain, maybe a kilo or two a year. And I think if people are young having bariatric surgery, if someone who's 20 having, a say, a sleeve gastrectomy or a gastric bypass, well, they've got 70 years to go. Mm. That's not unlikely they'll get some weight regain in their lifetime and possibly all of it. Mm. Sometimes a patient will have a gastric band that came out and then a sleeve gastrectomy, which work for five or ten years and mm. possibly even a bypass procedure afterwards. That's not common. Hopefully most people will get by with one procedure which lasts in a lifetime. So what makes someone have long-term success then? What would be, what's the guidance that you give your patients when they've had surgery and they're you know, determined to keep it off? What does a patient have to do? What are they? I think that's the most important question because yeah. they're all going to do well at a year. Even yes. if they're sweet eaters, even if they're not doing, doing any exercise, they'll generally lose a lot of weight in the first year. Mm. But it's very important to make adjustments in your lifestyle after bariatric surgery uh, to stop the weight regain. And of the two, of exercise and calorie intake, calorie intake is much more important. Mm. And so we try to hold on to our patients for a number of years, years afterwards. Um, they need to be on a fairly low refined sugar diet. We know that free sugars are a disaster for any procedure. Um, a fairly high protein diet is important. And just sticking to an exercise regime, you don't need to be a gym junkie after mm. bariatric surgery, but we certainly know if you don't do any exercise in the first year, you can lose a lot of muscle. Uh, and if you lose a lot of muscle, that's your metabolism, it's your metabolic rate, and you're probably more of a sitter for weight regain in the years to come. So we try to encourage fairly significant exercise uh, and mainly resistance training in the in the year after surgery. Okay. And would they be needing to lose um, weight and make these lifestyle risk factors uh, changes before surgery? Uh, it, in theory, yes, but it's mm -hmm. not always possible. Um, yeah. And I've seen some patients with BMI 60, 70, and they can barely walk and they've got sleep apnea and life is just, just too hard and mm -hmm. the wheels have come off and they've pretty much given up. And we understand that, um, and they would need to perhaps try and get a bit, bit fitter, a bit more mobile beforehand. Um, just being on Optifast for a few weeks, often they'll lose 10 kilos. Um, then they'll have their surgery, but after that, when they've had about two or three weeks post-operative and recovered from it, they really need to get exercising then, and that, that's really crucial, and make the adjustments afterwards. But in theory, it'd be nice to make the adjustments before, but most people I see have been battling their weight for years. They've tried yeah. five or 10 diet and exercise regimes. There's no real medications that seem to work out there. And uh, 
and and for instance, many patients I've seen have been on duramine for many years. Wow. Um, which uh, has probably side effects. Yeah, a number of side effects disrupt sleep, and mm. uh, it's not a great drug, I don't think, in my opinion. Uh, there's another drug called Sixendra that some people are on beforehand, which is an injection. It's expensive, um, and it has some weight weight loss for patients, but it's not going to be a long-term solution. Um, so, yeah, we try as much as we can beforehand, but essentially when they've had their surgery in that year afterwards, that's when we're going to, when we're going to have a lot to do with them and maximise their weight loss. I'm just uh, imagining what it must be like as a patient who's unfortunately uh, put on weight and then and and the effect on your life of not sleeping and all the chronic health conditions that go with that and then to have surgery lose weight and start sleeping and have you got a story of someone oh, like I mean you yeah, have so, so many, many but so many yeah but it's a it's a that's what I like about it that's why I do it it's yes. such a predictable operation I mean I can think of um well we had a chap in not long ago who fell asleep in the waiting room who's a country patient who's a farmer and oh. fell asleep because he had such bad sleep apnea mm. And we had to wake him up to come in for his consultation. He didn't know he had sleep apnea. Wow. And he was basically you know, slowly, slowly dying. And I he'd think. been living yeah, like he'd been living that like years. that on his own on his farm. Wow. And um, he had a BMI over 50. And when you've got a BMI over 50, you are actually slowly dying. That's mm. the way I view it. Um, and he had a... Because you're getting all those yeah, heart disease, risk factors, cancer. Cardiac, cardiac risk, cancer risk, type yeah. 2 diabetes, hypertension, limited mobility. Um, and he had a sleeve gastrectomy, which it's not that complicated a procedure, really. I mean, mm. it isn't now. It's a it's not a routine routine, but it. And it how long are you sort of long. in and out of surgery? Oh, it's basically usually an hour to two hours, and uh, and then you're in hospital for two to three nights. Most people take two weeks off work. Yeah. Um, and he anyway, he lost a lot of weight. He got rid of his sleep apnea symptomatically anyway, very quickly. Mm. He could suddenly concentrate again. He came in here chatting and happy. Um, and how and much weight has he lost? So he's uh, gone from. He's, I think he was 180 and he got to about 100. So he lost 80 kilos. Wow. Um, we've had some young kids in two. We're well, not young, young, but I can remember a 20 year old miner from Kalgoorlie who was really very big, BMI 65, I think. And uh, he wasn't able to work anymore. He couldn't drive wow. trucks because of the occupation, occupational health issues. Mm. Um, and uh, he lost. Uh, 100 kilos and um, kilos. yeah yeah and that's absolutely great and, and for he's him, back working he's back working wow it's like a second childhood for him well in fact it's more like a childhood so he's never had yeah um so some patient, patients like that the really big patients it really is a pleasure to operate on them because they they just get to enjoy life again and yeah. they miss their teen years and missed Missed a lot of things, really, and they get yeah. to have you know, relationships again, get yeah. on with their life. They and, have a life, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is fantastic. Mm. And so, um, can bariatric surgery be reversed? Have you had patients that say, "I, I, I want uh, well, reverse"? Depends or? what you've had. If you've had yeah. a gastric band, it can come out, but yes. then most people can put all their weight back on in six months. Yes. If you have a sleeve gastrectomy, well, that can't be reversed. No. You really need to know that uh, because it's a permanent, non-reversible procedure. But actually, you want permanent in life with obesity because obesity is a lifelong battle. Yes. Um, so permanence is good, but yes, once it's done, you can't it's, put the yeah. stomach back on again. Gastric bypass, in theory, depends what's been done, but in theory, that could be reversed. It would be technically quite complicated. And can you go from having a band and having that out and then having... Yes. Yeah, so you slave, could go yeah. from a band, usually, although sometimes patients have, been ba patients have had a band for a long time and the band may have damaged their stomach. And, and it, 
really precludes them from having any other surgery. But usually we can get the band out. We usually wait a few months for everything to settle down and they may be able to come back and have a sleeve gastrectomy or if they've got reflux or something that stops them from having a sleeve, they may end up having a gastric bypass. Yes, so yeah. they can have another okay. operation. So when um, someone's considering bariatric surgery and they're sort of doing their research, I mean, thanks to Google and podcasts and videos, even in fact anyone listening needs to get onto your website, which I will have in the episode notes because your videos are fantastic. Oh. I uh, was watching <laughs> them on the weekend. They're very good. Um so um, what what are the sort of things that people should be, when they're doing their research, should they be asking, you know, going and looking at the bios of the surgeons, seeing how long they've been doing surgery? Difficult, really, because yeah. it's a, a, lot of, a lot of the information on the web is... Um, yeah, not sometimes accurate. It's not 100% accurate. I mean, there is a lot of information out there, which is great, but sometimes too much information can be just too Overwhelming. Uh, I would have a discussion with uh, my GP. If I had a regular GP and I was considering bariatric surgery, I would go and talk to them. Yeah. Um, often they've developed a relationship over a period of time with a particular surgeon. Yeah. And most GPs, I mean, certainly a few years ago, were slightly hesitant about bariatric surgery. And they've, if they've seen good results and the patients have come back to them and, and they don't see them so much because they're a whole lot healthier and everything's mm. gone well, then they'll probably have a pretty good relationship with that surgeon and that team. But it yes. really is a team effect. Certainly, if you're thinking about having surgery, I would make sure uh, you can get a lot of information from that website, but that they've got a team of dietitians and a clinical psychologist. Mm. We've actually got an exercise physiologist. I think that's pretty important for a lot of patients. We use a DEXA scan, which is a body composition scan sometimes to see quite how unhealthy patients are pre-op, and, and we can sometimes see how they're going in terms of maintaining muscle mass post-op. But mm. Um, I, I also think talking to other friends who may have had an operation. Yes. Um, most people I've seen have got friends and family that have had an operation, a work colleague, they've had a conversation with their GP, they might come and see me, um, and I think getting a second opinion. You might yeah. see one surgeon and you just no reason not to see another one. Really. Yeah. I mean, it's elective surgery. I, I've seen a few people that have come to see me and then they've come back two years later. Um, yes. It's not a problem as long as they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll do it then. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, that's good advice. What do you think people should know about bariatric surgery that perhaps we don't? Because um, I think we were talking earlier about sometimes people think that it's for cosmetic reasons why yeah. maybe people yes, are I seeking think. bariatric surgery, but there's actually lots of chronic health disease that... Yeah, it's certainly not a cop-out. It's not a soft option. Uh, a, lo a lot of people who maybe who aren't overweight uh, would view people... Uh, who are overweight in a negative way and perhaps not understand that um, once you do have a certain weight, it's almost impossible to lose it yes. in a long-term fashion. And I think that stat you mentioned earlier was... Only 2% of yeah. patients under with a BMI over 35. So it's easier weight. said than done, people oh, have those easier. sort of um, yeah. comments like, oh, they should just exercise and you know, eat a right diet. I well, think <laughs> exercise is totally overrated for weight loss. That's probably something that people maybe not... I don't think we know that, yeah. yeah. But I think uh, exercise, I wouldn't say totally overrated, but... Um, for a lot of people who go to the gym, well, they might feel hungrier afterwards. It's good for their cardiovascular fitness. It's good for their muscle and, and metabolism. But essentially, um, they might feel hungrier when they get home and have a, a bigger meal in the evening and not actually have less calories in the day and therefore not lose weight. So it really comes down to diet, avoiding processed food, um, keeping the free sugars out, uh, and, and exercise to a smaller degree, but it, uh, but less than we less than we imagine. I think post-op exercise is really important to, to get the muscle mass retained. 
and perhaps build it up a bit. And I think the psychological component of, of weight um, and why it's so important to have a clinical psychologist in yeah, your no, team. Crucial. It's is- a big change for people. People who have bariatric surgery can cause some relationship difficulties. 99% is positive about losing weight, but 1%, um, we know that uh, it, can, it can change the balance of a relationship. If one, one person's been sedentary or both have been sedentary and they have an operation and they suddenly want to run around all over the place and go and do a whole bunch of outdoor activities. It can change the dynamics of relationships. Mm. I think yeah, the important things to, that people maybe weren't aware about bariatric surgery are certainly not a cop-out. Mm. Uh, it's not an easy option. Um, because, and it's still a lot of hard work afterwards. Yeah, it, yeah. It, and if patients don't make the adjustments, they're not um, watching what they're eating, not maintaining muscle mass, they probably will get weight regain in their lifetime. Um, there's all sorts of other things out there about bariatric surgery that I've seen studies that if you have have a bariatric procedure that's an addiction to food that you don't have anymore so you'll change to an addiction to alcohol or drugs or gambling. That's not true? This is complete rubbish. (laughs) Yeah. It's complete rubbish. These patients who have an operation generally do very well and they generally just move on in their life and they get to focus on other things and food and issues around food just not a driver it's quite liberating for most people and i think uh, what's important is for people to realize that there is you know um a lot of data out there with that association to weight to cancer to yep. cardiovascular disease to diabetes so you yeah, know well, to sleep apnea a, yeah if you have bmi over 40 and you're male you've got 400 percent increased risk of type 2 diabetes you've almost invariably got a degree of sleep apnea, got a high risk of hypertension, joint problems, certainly as you get older, joint problems, uh, fertility issues, issues in women, issues about depression, with body image issues, which generally get better with surgery. Obviously not always, it's, it's a complicated process. But for many people, their depression scores improve. So basically uh, if you if you do are successful in keeping that weight off, there's just so much yeah. you can gain, not just your life, but in terms yeah. of your life literally. Your yeah, quality of living and uh, life expectancy should increase for many people uh, and we know there's many cancers who are which are we've seen now are quite related to obesity certainly some of the hormone driven cancers breast mm. cancer colon cancer prostate cancer uh, and there and esophageal and maybe gastric cancer and they're an increased risk with uh, having a bmi over 40 yeah and we would imagine and we think that as the weight goes down the risk goes down yeah well that's There's certainly a good case for it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today about bariatric surgery. And I'll have all your uh, website uh, links on the episode notes. So thank you for your time. Great, thank you. For more information on bariatric surgery and Dr John Armstrong, visit advancedsurgical.com.au. You've been listening to MediTalk, a podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You can follow MediTalk podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review this podcast via iTunes or your podcasting app. If you have any health topics you would like to hear discussed, please email them to danae at meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.